Hello, hello, hello. It is your boy, Prince. Um, we're going to be doing another Grand Slam final breakdown here. 2023 Wimbledon final. Um, what a wonderful final. Two of the best tennis players um, on the tour, on the men's draw, to play an epic final, which we're probably going to go over. Um, you know, the women's final, uh, we'll be talking about the women's draw and, uh, all the unexpected things that happen there. Um, you know, so, uh, going to be waiting for, uh, two of my, uh, co-casters. Uh, hopefully I think Redbox will definitely be making it, uh, most likely, uh, see if Kevin will make it. Um, but we'll, uh, move forward with that. Um, in a few minutes. But uh, for you guys who are tennis fans, this, this is one of my favorite tournaments. Um, you know, it is an amazing event. Um, just a, a, a pleasure to be a part of. Um, you know, I absolutely, absolutely adore this tournament. Um, here we have Mr. Redbox on here. Huge tennis aficionado. Hey, hey, hey. How's it going? What's up, man? What's up? How's it going? How's your day going? Oh, not too bad. I just got back from a rather unsuccessful fishing trip. <laughs> you didn't catch anything? Um, the only fish we caught were way too big to eat, so. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Where that's, is that a good... Kev... Yeah, I don't know, Where's I don't know Kevin? if, uh, I'm not sure if he's going to be hopping on. Uh, he said, he, you know, three o'clock was just the time that he'd want to be, be hmm. having a cast. So let's see All if right, he hops I'm on. If gonna... not, we'll, uh, we'll certainly just, um, ad lib and, uh. And uh, certainly, you want to share this out to all the discords and shit. Uh, I, I'd probably be faster if you do it. It's already it's already on the Discord. No, like it's all it's in all the like all the groups and stuff. We're in all that. I thought I already shared it in the group. No, uh, no, like it's in like the all the chats and stuff that everyone's like the, you know all the stuff Patrick shares his shows out to you, all those. Yeah, I mean, if you want, I can. I guess if you if you want to do that, we can. Well. Yeah, I mean, we're, we want to get people in here, right? <laughs> so. Okay. Yeah, no, well, uh, hopefully Kevin shows up. It'd be nice to have a third here, but we can. Yeah, big dog yeah. wanted at three o'clock, so here we are. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there he is. Trying to accommodate for him. He actually showed up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get him in here. Hello? You guys hear me? What's up, big dog? Hello, yes. Hey, what's up. going on? What's up? Of course I show up. We set this time <laughs> for you, bud. Yeah. It's yeah, too busy of a schedule. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting. At 2 o'clock, I saw it didn't start yet. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, maybe I'll start in a couple minutes, and then I come back, and there you are. 
Yep, we're as we Kevin for a time. He gives me he gives me like one time, man. He's like too busy. He's got time for like a two page rant <laughs> and all these TikToks. Man, he's got TikToks. <laughs> Dude, I'm about to do another one after we get off because I'm like at the point where like I'm at, I'm going through the five stages of grief right now with this team. I'm nearing the accept acceptance stage. What what team would that be? Yankees. Oh. Oh, <laughs> I yeah, forgot you yeah. were a Yankees fan. Yeah, I'm not happy. I'm disappointed, and I'll I'll say more in the TikTok video. Oh, Kevin, what's your last name, man? That's kind of hard to say. <laughs> Zelix Kovics. I gotta That's tease you, man, because you're like the guy who's like, yeah, I'm I'm only free this time. I'm only available this. Did you get my proposal? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm yeah. glad you're here, man. Um, definitely looking forward to hearing your TikToks, uh, the rants. We would love to hear your rant here on this as well. I was just talking about it before Redbox hopped on. My One of my favorite tournaments growing up as a kid, uh, remembering Pete Sampras growing up. I grew up, I was, I was born in 87, uh, you know, so I watched Pete Sampras for many years. Of course, Federer as he, as he started playing well, and now Djokovic and, and Nadal. Um, so it's one of the classic tournaments uh, the All England Club. I mean, you know, it's it doesn't get any better than that. I think it's the most authentic version of the tennis game. Um, if you guys know, tennis itself was an indoor game first. It's actually a French game, and it was they kind of play it like racquetball. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, and so this is the uh, this is the invention of 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 people from the English culture and stuff like that. And of course this took off and they played on grass when it first started. And of course, Wimbledon is just the, is just the, the best of the best, the creme de la creme. So what are your first thoughts on this tournament? Like what are your first thoughts when you got, when it comes to July, like, you know, July 4th from, for me and for me and uh, Redbox July 1st, because, you know, of course we're, yeah. we're from Canada as well, but both, both for me, I mean, what do you think? Like to me, July is like the peak of the summer, like middle of the year. And Wimbledon comes on. What do you guys like? How do you guys? What's the first things that come to your mind? What are the emotions that come up when you when you hear about Wimbledon? Oh, you can go first, Red Bucks. Yeah, well, I mean, back before back before I went to university, Wimbledon was always kind of the the first thing once school was out. Um, usually, qualifying would be during the last week of school, and I'd like have it on in class while we were just doing nothing. Um, and that now Wimbledon's like right in the middle of my summer, as you said, right at the halfway point between, uh, when I get home from school in April and when I head back in September, in late March and when I head back in September, um, it, well, one thing, it forces me to rearrange my sleep schedule for two weeks, which usually turns into three because of the open and is going to turn into about six because of the women's world cup. Um, but this is my favorite tournament, bar none. Um, it's not. It's not close. You nothing gets close to the prestige of Wimbledon. Um, mm -hmm. The only major on grass. I know we've had other majors on grass in the past. The U.S. Open and the Australia. I think all four were on grass at one point or another, uh, and then all of them either went to clay or hard court afterwards. But. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get better than this. Last year wasn't as great because the, all the best players uh, either weren't there or were banned from being there. But we had a full field this year, um, minus Nadal, who I think is probably on his way out 
anyway. Um, we had so many great runs. I'm sure we'll get to all that later, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to pretty much say the same thing. Like, Wimbledon is definitely the most prestigious, most well-known uh, tennis tournament. I always look forward to it. I pretty much have watched every Wimbledon tournament uh, since 2011, I believe, I want to say. And since it's in the month of July, that's perfect because that's my birth month. And I'm like, okay, cool. I can just watch, watch Wimbledon and then like – and then my birthday will so soon come right afterwards. Yeah, so that's, I, a, I, I don't, that's a really nice I don't do much watch. for two weeks when Wimbledon's on. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's and, good. And kind of like, I was going to say, kind of like the same thing with your, your red box. I have to rearrange my sleeping schedule, too. Because, like, it's always on at, like, like 8 o'clock or, like, 7.30 in the morning. So I have to, like, okay, well, I guess I'm waking up at 7.30 then so I can watch this match because I'm not missing Kevin, it. Kevin, when I'm in school, that is when I go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a, it's just yeah. such a classic tournament i mean the grass um it's you know i, I know when I'm growing up watching sanford's was just my favorite player growing up at the time um just watching him just playing in that grass um and now of course the surface has changed a little bit it's not it's a little bit more bouncier for the kind of style of play these days a tad bit more bouncier not as dry with the with the you know with a little bit more grass on it but I mean, just the production quality, uh, you know, the broadcast and the timing of it, especially for us being out here in, in North America, just being during peak season, July, July 1st is my birthday. So I'm also born in July, born in Canada Day, um, but coming around July 4th where everybody's anticipating, it's just the perfect timing for us. Um, even though the tournaments, you know, over you know, across the pond. Um, so I mean, what are your, I mean, real quick before we get into the tournament because we're gonna definitely get into the tournament. Uh, your bet, your biggest Wimbledon, like your single most Wimbledon uh, m- memory that you have of, of the tournament, like that's really that really makes you think of the tournament. Um, of this tournament, just what? No, just in general, like you know the just Wimbledon. In oh, general. general. Yeah, okay. sorry, I was wasn't clear that. on that. So I mean, yeah, what what. What's the one moment in, in Wimbledon history during your time or, or maybe highlights you've watched over the years that, that you think of all the time that really resonates with you? Oh. For me, so I'll go first. So yeah. for me, um, it was actually, I guess you could call it pretty re- recent. It was that, for me, it was that 2019 Wimbledon final between Djokovic and Federer. Mm. That going all the way, all the whole distance to that fifth set tiebreak. And I think, and it was so long that they had to change it from like uh, instead of like whatever, how many points it was, it goes to, to 10 because it was just so intense back and forth. Like I really thought that like it was in the bag for, for, for Federer when I was first watching it, but then Djokovic did not let up because I am a Djokovic fan, <laughs> but I'm like Federer is playing too good right now. But like Djokovic always finds a way to like uh, stand in the spotlight and then knows how to get those points really really quickly and i thought that was one of the most entertaining finals i've ever seen yeah it's a classic that screenshot that they have of djokovic uh hitting that backhand at the end of the at any of the match there they they use that screenshot for all the uh, highlights so i mean we're gonna definitely uh tease a little bit because you know of course djokovic didn't pull through this time bud but uh uh Mm. what uh, what's your what's your memory well i don't know i've only started like I've only really gotten to tennis the past five, six years, but I've, um, it would have to be, that's a tough one. Cause we've had two Canadians go to the Wimbledon final and honestly, neither of them were that memorable. Uh, Murray Raonic 
and um, Kavitova Bouchard, I believe. Um, and, you know, neither of them were great finals. Uh, the Murray Raonic one kind of just went with the serve the entire match. Um, and then Murray would win all the, Murray would win the tie breaks. Went four sets, wasn't great. Um, in that Bouchard match, he got slaughtered. Uh, so, I don't know. Like, in terms of the biggest final when I'm around, when I've been around, probably the 2013 final, but I didn't really get to see much of it. Uh, back when Murray won his first Wimbledon title and broke the British drought. Um, right. I mean, I'd, I'd almost, I know we're going to get into this, but I'd say this year's men's final um, probably is going to be one of the most memorable for me for a while. Um, yeah, great tournament. Obviously, I've got a lot of issues with the format. Uh, I've, I'm, I'm one of those old-fashioned people. I hate tie breaks of I hate all tie breaks with a passion. I think if a match goes 14 hours, I'm talking, or goes 11 hours, I'm talking to you, John Isner, then uh, then it should go 11 hours and someone should have to break the circuit. I think it should happen to happen in every set, but at least we had a compromise uh, until 2019 uh, where it would go till 12 all in the fifth, which I, and of course it happened in the final. Uh, so then they play. Uh, they played a. They played a super breaker or a champions tiebreak, I guess they call it. Um, now that champions tiebreak happens at six all, uh, which I don't think is a compromise. I think that's. Uh, um, I think that's them uh, saying we were abandoned. They they keep all the tradition that's bad. This tournament. This is the one thing they keep all the tradition that's bad. And they remove all the tradition that's good. All the, like, not all of it, but a, a lot of it. Um, the dress code, I think that's unnecessary. Um, I think a lot of the stuff they do is on. But then all the, the good stuff, the stuff that makes it exciting. Uh, a tie breaks like a skills competition, essentially. It's only, you only have to break once. Uh, well, you only have to break one serve. And you can win. You can win it. Uh, that's, that's not, that, that's luck. That's almost luck at that point. Like, yeah, someone's probably going to screw up on their serve at one point during a tie break. Mm-hmm. Um, you know? Yeah, so I'd say, I'd say mm-hmm. uh, my, my biggest moment, actually, it kind of ties into what you're saying here is, is the Roddick, I mean, there's so many great memories. I love Sampras, uh, you know, a lot of the, the matches that he played in. Um, you know, Sampras, Federer was amazing. I mean, there's so many great matches in, on, on grass. But one of my favorites, I, I'm a huge fan of, of, of Andy Roddick. Um, and I was hoping he would win, at least pull one through. He only won one Grand Slam, but he definitely deserved one Wimbledon. And the first one he played against Federer where it rained out, unfortunately, and he was pretty much just bludgeoning Federer um, earlier in Federer's career. Federer ended up coming fully through and winning that match. And this one was the long fifth setter, if you recall. Um, I think it went in the 20s or something like that, which it just kept on going and kept on going. And Roddick looked really good. He had uh, he had Connors in his, in his box. And unfortunately, Federer, you know, uh, just held his nerve and just, uh, you know, just won that match. So that, to me, is one of the biggest memories that I have. Um, greatest memories that I have of, uh, of Wimbledon. I'm sure you guys remember that match. It's an epic match. 
Well, there's one thing you mentioned during that, and I know you probably got a format you want to stick with, but uh, the one thing you mentioned during that was Rain, and Rain dominated the championships this year. Um, (laughs) We were still playing first-round matches on Thursday. Yeah, the rain was just ridiculous. Like, how many matches were, were suspended that they had to, like, carry over into the I think next on, day? I, thought I that think was on Tuesday we yeah. got seven, eight matches done, and they were all on the show courts. Uh, and then Wednesday, mm-hmm. I think we got another, like, maybe 16 or 17 done because they were able to get a few off in the early morning. Mm-hmm. And then it was just all the show courts for the rest of the day. Mind you, those <laughs> those show courts brought us some good matches. But they should have been starting them earlier. They could have got one more in before the curfew uh, mm-hmm. on each of them, probably. But that that is a whole that is steeped in tradition too. That's mm-hmm. why they. I don't like that tradition. I don't like the curfew. You, well, no, not the curfew. They're starting at one p.m. And uh, this was interesting, actually. I learned this um, on the BBC. Um, Wimbledon, I guess, was always tradition. It was tennis was traditionally a gentleman's game, and the. The thought was after uh, everyone's had their lunch and their tea, whatever, uh, they would go and watch tennis in the afternoon. And that is why the show courts don't start till 1 p.m. It's the only tournament that does it. Which Interesting. Huh. Never really thought about that. Yeah, yeah. that's 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 what the BBC the said anyway. I'm not too familiar with the curfew. Can you go can you go go over the curfew real quick? Is it, is it what's the sure. curfew? Like Ten o'clock? Sure. So um, the curfew, uh, it's an agreement with um, the, I guess, like local, the local residents of uh, uh, South London. And I I guess for two weeks in a year, there's people shouting and screaming all day. I mean, there's tens of thousands of people on the grounds of SW19 for like almost 24 hours a day because people queue up at two o'clock in the morning um which isn't technically legal but they let it happen um and to watch the tennis so the agreement is they stop um at 11 p.m to give the residents some peace and quiet i understand it i don't like it but i understand it and i i can I can get why they do it. Not, like, I, I don't think that's getting repealed anytime soon. Mm. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Like, I, I get it because of, of, like, you know, they want to get out at a decent time and all that agreement. But at the same time, I don't like it either. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of got mixed thoughts on it. I, I, I like it. Well, it, it's the prestige of Wimbledon. I like, I understand why they want to keep that kind of formality to it. Uh, although, you know, U.S. Open is really nice about having those late night matches. I think we're we're just so we're so privileged to kind of watch those matches. We, we enjoy those late night matches on our thrash. Um, America and Britain are so different, though. You know, like in Britain, it, like it's, it's so culturally different. Uh, oh yeah. Like I, I I think up in Canada, we were somewhere in between the two. But America's like, I mean, the streets are still packed at 12, 1 o'clock mm-hmm. at night in downtown New York, probably every night. Would I be wrong in assuming that? Mm-hmm. 
Nope, you're you're correct. I used to, used to uh, I lived in I was born in Jersey and I always would visit my my cousins in New York. So you're not wrong. Right. Yeah, I used to live in Jersey. Um, I've been to U.S. Open twice. Um, so yeah, I mean that's a nice campus, and you know it's we've watched it many years over TV. Um, you know the population New York City people are always gathering, waiting, watching late night matches at bars. So um, certainly a different culture, but. Uh, you know, let's get into this tournament. I mean, first, before we get into yes. the, the actual draw itself, real quick, first thoughts going into the tournament. Like, what were your first, what were you looking, what were you looking forward to? What were the, the headlines that were really kind of caught your eye? I mean, certainly Alcaraz, Djokovic is one of them. I mean, throw that one out there. We already know that. I mean, was, was there anything mm-hmm. specific, any storylines that you were looking forward to before going into this tournament that the media was highlighting or something that you were looking forward to? Two, two big things. Two big yeah. things. Um, the return of Russians and Belarusians to the tournament. Um, right. We mm-hmm. had all the best players in the world again at the best tournament in the world. Basically, the world they called it the Grass Court World Championships for years. Um, so, and no punts is here. I don't know if we want to get him in here, um, but uh, we'll get him in. Uh, here. And and then, of course, the return of Andy Murray uh, to take a crack at another title. I think that's. Yep. I know that's the typical headline that everyone was watching for, but Andy Murray and Wimbledon go together like they they, they just make sense. Um, Wimbledon is not going to be the same uh, once Andy Murray once Andy Murray's gone. So I think uh, that that was the other big thing I was looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, well, and I think I think Ronich returned this tournament. Right? Yeah, well, yeah. Ronich should have retired five years ago. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised when I saw him in the drama. Like, oh yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. They, they kept putting him on low courts. He never really got any exposure. Like I was, I wish they'd give him, given him like a court three or four at least one day. But I do too. Yeah, I really like watching him. Yeah, he's a he's I a like nice wa- he's a nice talent, uh, especially for us Canadians. So I mean, this is going to be a recorded episode. This is going to be certainly on my podcast as well. So uh, nice to have you on here. Uh, no punts. Um, you know, the, the whole Murray thing, of course, it's, it's, it's important, especially because that five-setter, uh, really great match with, with Tsitsipas, right, um, which we'll, we'll go into because I want to go with the women's draw first. Um, I have lots but... of thoughts on that match, actually. Sorry? I have lots of thoughts on that match. Yeah, we'll certainly get into that and certainly make sure that's, uh, you know, uh, make sure I circle back to that. But let's get into the women's draw because, I mean, that's a huge uh, highlight for me, of course. Al- Alcarez and Djokovic, that was just the – you know, it's the obvious one, but for me, that was the obvious headline going into it. Luckily, we got we got we got lucky. We got a chance to see that. Um, uh, no punts. I mean, uh, if you're alive, if you're here, if you can hear us, um, you know, what was the first like? What was the biggest headline going into this tournament before the tournament actually kicked off for you? All right. Well, I don't think I'm as a hardcore tennis fan as you guys. Um, I pretty much only watched one match, and that was the men's final. Um, and I think Carlos Alcaraz is the next great thing. I was so impressed by him. Um, and I'm glad the era of just like the big guy standing in the back of the baseline, just hitting balls back might be over. I would love to see a new era of tennis where you get players like Alcaraz, who kind of reminds me of Michael Chang or even Andre Agassi. He's all over the court. He's athletic. He's not just kind of this big stiff. And I'm not trying to 
you know, I'm not trying to, you know, Djokovic is a great player, but him and Andy Murray and even Nadal to an extent, it's not the most pleasing tennis on the eye. It's more defensive. And so to see like a guy like Alcaraz, and I really think he's definitely going to win double digit grand slams. And I think it's just like, this was a huge coming out party and he's got the charisma off the court. So I just think he's going to be a global superstar. Yeah, no, great take, man. I mean, he's, Michael Chang's a really good um, comparison. And we're going to go into that certainly once we get into the men's draw a little bit more. So stick around for that. But the uh, the women's draw, the women's draw, I mean, what do you guys have to say in regards to that? Yes, we attack got bounced out early. Um, you know, that's the probably the biggest highlight for me. Of course, uh, an unexpected winner. You know, especially with ranking, ended up winning it um, from the Czech Republic. Um, you know, where do you guys want to start with this? I mean, uh, Bianca Andrescu, I mean, something that's a name that, of course, we're familiar with. Of course, uh, Redbox, Kevin, I'm sure. You know, um, she's been a really talented player. She's been kind of inconsistent recently. So um, where do you guys want to start with this? I think Sviatek, I mean, probably we start with Sviatek as far as the women's draw. I mean, I mean, she got bounced out early. Um, I kind of – I'm not totally surprised. Um, and, you know, I mean, she's not – nobody can win every single match. I just feel like, you know, this is probably her weakest surface, um, you know, because the pace of it. But, um, I mean, that's certainly the biggest highlight when it comes to the women's draw first. Yeah, and, I mean, I think everyone kind of was expecting three attack to show up and just win, which, you know, women's tennis, and this is what I love about women's tennis, actually. Um, you never know. You never know. Someone completely could come out the blue like... Uh, Von Dusseva did uh, this tournament and just surprise everybody. Um, I think one thing I want to say, Jabor, Jabor's second year in a row, she couldn't get it done. And I think yeah. she's going to one day, one day she will win a Grand Slam title. I, I think that's basically a guarantee. Right. She's... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you call her a generational talent, but she's up, she's up there. She's close. So, yeah, um, we caught that one match, if we recall, when Colorcast was still uh, active, um, you know, for the U.S. Open final, which was a great match. Um, you know, so we ended up did pulling through on that. So, you know, on your board, since you brought that name up, you know, um, you know, she's made it to a couple finals now. Unfortunately, she wasn't, hasn't been able to pull through. I thought she should have won this one. Um, I think she has the perfect game for for grass because she uses the slice a lot, uh, very effective slice and a nice little drop shot. Uh, Kevin, what are your thoughts on the women's draw? Any specific names, any, any specific storylines that you want to bring up? You have Coco Goff, of course, Venus Williams still, of course, not able to, mm-hmm. to be to, to be successful, even <clears throat> though she is a really good grass court player. Um, you know, Sweet Tolina, of course, is, is, a, is a big name. Um, uh, you know, there's plenty of names yeah, here. Z- Zvitalina, I think people really underestimated her going into the tournament. I was just about to say that. I'm yeah. not shocked I she think- made it as far as she did. Um, I mean, she's what, number, I think she's 77 or she was before the tournament in the world. But she's not 77th in the world. I mean, this is a former... Um, absolutely not. This is a former top five player we're talking about. Um... <laughs> I believe she's got a few Grand Slam titles behind her. 
she's 77th in the world because she's um well she went and uh, had a had a baby and then took some time off from the sport and came back i think it was seven months ago or no seven months ago is when she had um so i that she made it as far as she did i i mean i i think people um people underrated her big time she's she's a great talent she lost um what was a great match uh, i i did end up watching uh her play that against uh Vandersova. Vandersova? yeah yeah i think Vandersova. like yeah i remember yeah. us oh no as i said i remember us watching that u.s open final last year yeah. uh, i mean one of my takes is I'm going to continue it. It's on the women's and the men's side is how bad American tennis players are and how bad America tennis is. And I think Pegula epitomizes that, that everything in our sports world is almost always pay to play. You need money. And like our great, one of our best, it just happens. One of our only semi hopes. I don't, I don't ever think she'll win a grand slam. It happens to be the child of a billionaire. So that shows you how bad American tennis is that we have billionaires kids as our best players. There were there was two Americans in the quarterfinals. Um Dude, that's good for like a small Scandinavian country. Like we should expect America I mean, I'm not trying to sound American centric here, but I grew up in the nineties, all right? Like I mean like come on, dude. It, it's bad for a country with this much money and three hundred million people to not have good tennis players. The Serena it's really not acceptable. Over. Okay, yeah, I mean, and, and just, I, like, and I don't want it, so I know you're talking women's tennis, but to me, someone like Carlos or Alcaraz in American tennis would have been overlooked. They would have said, oh, he's not big enough. And this is what bothers me about American sports. It's not just pay to play. You need money, but you also need size because we're obsessed with size. And it's like, oh, if you're not a big person, and this goes for other sports too, but, like, you don't have to be big and strong to be a great tennis player. I mean, I think golf would have went far, but she had to play. Who was it in the first round? Yeah, um, I mean, that's that's the point. Another I, American. I, she had to play. There's several other name? Americans. There's Parks. There's Stevens is a pretty good player, too. Um, you know, there's golf. It was uh, Kennan, right? Kennan. I think, she had right? to play Sophia Kennan, Kennan in the first round. That's ridiculous. Right, Kennan. That's not a first-round yeah, match. That's, yeah. Not a first-round match. No, it's not. I mean, like I said, I just know on our men's side, like, like the only American tennis players is like they have to be big, like Andy Roddick or John Isner. Like, we don't develop small players. We think everyone has to be massive, like six foot six with massive. Serves. Oh no, I agree. You don't on have the, to be on like the men's that. side. American tennis is a disaster right now. I agree. Well, I mean, that's a good mm-hmm. uh, topic to kind of uh, talk about um, as we still continue to go over the draw here. Um, I would say, like my my point on that, and Kevin, please chime in as well, because um, you are an American tennis fan, is. Uh, you know, the fact that it's, it's not like there isn't, you know, shorter tennis players out there. There's a, there's a huge bucket of players out there, um, from college ranks mm-hmm. and in the United States. I think it's just like, quote unquote, the marketing or just the media, uh, the push and just kind of the psychology and the, the philosophy, I'd say, of, of how the American culture is as far as how you, how you should be to be successful in sports. And that's kind of where it comes mm-hmm. from. So, I mean, uh, I agree with that from yeah, from a psychological, from a philosophical perspective, as to how we kind of, I've been mentoring or how we've kind of been, um, you know, setting up our programs as as to what is a successful uh, athlete at you know at at a professional level, at a collegiate level, and when it comes to um, American tennis players, 
So I totally agree when it comes to that from that perspective. Uh, but there are a bunch of shorter, you know, tennis players. It's just for some reason, maybe because that's playing a factor, you know, as to their success. Um, they just haven't pushed through to the next level. Yeah, I mean, perhaps you bring up a good point about like the height advantage. I mean, look at like guys like uh, Diego Schwartzman, for example. He's one of the shortest tennis players who's actually really successful. He can go until like maybe the quarterfinals, like if, if he wants to. But he's just facing just better competition. I don't really think that. Maybe yes, maybe height does have does have a, a factor to it. But I feel like uh. if you're just facing better competition, you're like you, you kind of like can't get yourself over the hump until you like. Just I don't know. Schwartzman's getting old too. Yeah, he's getting old too. But sure. my point is, if look, our institutions are failing. Whether it be USTA, I don't think the NCA is very good at developing talent in really any sport. And I'm just saying, if you're like a good tennis player, 15 year old that has potential, but you're only five, six or five, seven, I don't think you're going to get the resources or get invited to those camps oh, yeah. because they're not going to see you as a prospect. The majority of like the, right. the majority mean, of American development doesn't go through the NCAA either. Right. Like it, because the like the system is you go, I, you start local clubs, you go to uh, ITF juniors, if you're good enough. And then from there you have a bunch of different play- college is, but yeah. Well, one of the problems is, though, some parents of their kids, they rather just get their kid good enough to get an NCA scholarship. They're not really trying to get necessarily their kids to become pro. Because yeah. once you become pro, then you can't get that scholarship to Stanford or UCLA. And yeah. there's, lots, there's, there's lots of good coaches, actually. At, there's, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to spend... There's lots of good coaches in the NCAA. But... I will say that, you know, the USTA is not a bad organization. I think it's a pretty, pretty good organization. Um, I would say... You know, there's a lot of successful tennis players, as we talked about in a previous recap when we were doing the Australian Open. But I it's I think maybe there's a mentality of like, you know, just in America that you have to be tall to be successful. I mean, certainly makes a difference like Kevin was highlighting somewhat. But, um, you know, you, there's and maybe that's kind of the mentality. Like we just need to have prospects that are that are taller in nature and certainly helps in your serve. But um, maybe that needs to change from a systemic standpoint. But, um, but I mean, you know, how can you give the USTA credit? They haven't created a good men champion since Pete Sampras. Oh, get well, I mean, that's all, all, all dependent on, on the talent itself. And so we'll, we, there's plenty of good American players that have been. But well. Spain, a country of like one tenth the size of America is now going to have two great champions. How is Spain doing it? And America's not. We're richer than Spain and we have 10 times as many people. There's really no excuse. Well, tennis is not the primary sport in the United States. That's that's the reason why. So. It's not the primary sport really in any country, definitely not Spain. Well, it's a European sport. So, I mean, we'll, we'll, we can... Is it? That's yes. how much we're... Has it always been? Yes. It's it's always been a European yeah. sport, yeah. Um, so, there's, there's plenty of people in, in, in Europe that play, play tennis. I think it's a global sport. Uh, well, no, it's, it's primarily a European sport. So, a lot of people in Europe definitely love playing tennis. Um, so, I mean, going into this, we're too busy playing pickleball now, um, <laughs> going to this women's draw. I mean, so we have tech certainly is a big one. I mean, Coco Goff, uh, you know, fell out early. Uh, you, I don't know if, what your thoughts on that Coco Goff. Or well, and uh, we should get Sean up in here too. He's uh, listening, but yeah, Coco Goff again, she had to play Sophia Cannon in the first round. <laughs> I looked at that and I was like, "There's no way that this is a first no round way in match. hell is that fair." Absolutely. I don't care how injured or low ranked Sophia Cannon is; it's just like Zvitolina. Um, it's just like Zvitolina. She's 
a player that is ranked well below what she's actually capable of doing because she's been uh, on recovery from injury uh, for so long and she's been playing a lot of challengers, but she's still good and they, they shouldn't have had them. They should not have had that as an opening round match. Uh, Goff had the potential to go very far. Goff probably had the potential to win the thing. Mm-hmm. If Yeah. I mean, she's got – she's really good on hard courts. I think her game is pretty good for for the grass. So, uh, unfortunately, you know, talking about American talent, is, I think there's pretty good handful of players, uh, even on the women's side, they're pretty talented. I think Pagula played pretty decent in the, in the initial stages. Um, you know, Stevens, I think, is a pretty highly talked about player, especially with, uh, you know, ex – uh, yeah. ten, women's tennis players. Um, any thoughts on some of the American talent or, or some of the uh, other women on in this draw? Kevin, you have any thoughts? I think Wondrasova surprised a lot of people, but it doesn't surprise me because, I mean, I you know, tennis is, you know, few unforced errors here or there, and then, you know, you got – you're on to the next round. So, uh, a top, you know, a top 40 player is can beat anybody. Yeah, I I kind of wanted wanted to like circle back that to uh, what Redbox said about the tournament. ladies' tournament earlier. Please, like, yeah, I pretty much agree that like any uh, ladies' draw, you never know who is going to win. It's just like pick one out of a hat and and they could win seriously. Because sometimes it'll be like the top ranked player in Igor Sviatek. Sometimes it could be uh, Elena Svitolina. Sometimes it could be Kvitova, Sabalenka, you name it. It's the, it's the ladies' draw is always so interesting because you can never predict one singular player. Because, like, say for, like, the men's side, you can pretty much almost predetermine who's going to the final no matter what. It's going to either be, like, uh, Djokovic and whoever, like, for the men's side almost always. Mm-hmm. But for, like, the ladies' side, you just never know. Yeah, I mean, that's what makes it one of the – I think one of the best women's – um, sports out there, the most competitive and fun to watch, in my opinion. Um, you know, if you were to rank, you know, women's women's sports, I think women's tennis is definitely probably my personal book probably ranked number one. It's the most competitive. Um, you know, Absolutely. really quality yeah. tennis play. Um, you know, there, I mean, it's up there with golf and soccer for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say yeah, yeah. Golf is a yeah. Well, there's a lot of quality uh, women golfers as well. So I think Vondrasova like really benefit from being a lefty, um, and you know I think that's you know certainly she got a little lucky, but uh, I think you know her being a lefty, it's always tough to play, um, you know. So I think that is a storyline that a lot of people didn't really talk about um, as far as why she was successful on this. Of course, we attack. I think she would have done some damage if she would have pulled through a little bit further. But again, I think she struggles a little bit on these faster courts. Um, and Drescu, I mean, I don't know. Redbox, you have any thoughts on that? Kevin, you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I, I'm expecting more from her. Ever, ever since that one win, she's kind of tapered off, man. She hasn't showed up. Yeah, ever since 2019. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I don't know what the... Uh... I mean, she's been struggling with. I think she's had some, some off, lots of off court issues, lots of injuries. I think she's had, uh, I think she had some mental health concerns or, or, or earlier on back. I could be thinking of someone else, uh, but I don't know. She, Canadian tennis as a whole, I could probably go on for <laughs> about mm-hmm. about an hour about how how doomed we are right now. Um, 
because we got a whole bunch of talent. We're not doing anything with it. Yeah. Um, any so, thoughts on Andrescu? Uh, Kevin, any thoughts on that or a specific tennis player that, that you wanted to kind of uh, highlight on this in this draw, in this specific tournament? Because every tournament's unique in its, in its own right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think Redbox just kind of touched on the main, the main point there. I mean, like, Andrescu, like, besides – uh, that 20, 2019, she's kind of been like just like disappointing and inconsistent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you, I guess you can kind of say the same thing for like uh, players like Andy Murray, so, so to speak, because like he's, I think he's, I think Andy Murray is starting to get back to to where like his true form is, especially in that match against Sitsipas, where I really think that that he should have won that match, but like the they're, rank kind of screwed him, in my opinion. They're not comparable situations, I don't think. <laughs> I think that. I mean, in terms like of, of them be, being both like uh, inconsistent and not going back to their true form, really struggling to get back there. Yeah, Murray's in his mid thirties though. Andrescu's in her mid twenties. Uh, uh, like Murray's playing with a metal hip. Uh, on Andrescu is not. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, she hasn't been the same. I mean, uh, to kind of like end. But I digress. She hasn't been the same for a while. I mean, huge fan of Andrescu, of course, being Canadian myself, even though I live in the States. Um, I, lo- I love the story of, like, of course, she just it's just epic that she beat Serena Williams in the U.S. Open, winning her first title like that, uh, the way she beat her, too. And apparently she had um, done a lot of visualization exercises with some of her coaching and stuff like that, which so the power of visualization. Oh, yeah. So that's a really unique, cool story for, player, for, for guys like us who are really, you know, really huge enthusiasts of tennis. I play plenty of tennis. I'm still working on my serve, learning it, you know, learning how to do the racket drop, learning the mechanics of it. And I love to play tennis. I'm pretty athletic myself. And, uh, you know, it's it's cool that people are using these tools these days, become very, you know, uh, using these, like, you know, meditation tools, using these uh, visualization tools. And um, she happened to mention that after she had won a couple of years after beating Serena Williams. So that's just an awesome story to me. Uh, I'm into that kind of spirituality stuff as well. But um, Jabor, the last thing I'll say about this, Jabor, unfortunately, you know, she just couldn't win it. Uh, I, thought she, I thought she should have, you know, closed it out here. She has a perfect game for for grass. But uh, unfortunately, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Unforced errors is the problem here. Um, but mostly her serve. I mean, I, she's not tall. Um, but, I mean, she just missed a lot of her first, you know, her first, her first serve and second serve. She just got completely just taken up there. So, um that's really all I have to say when it comes to the women's draw, but let's get into the men's draw unless you guys have anything else to mention on that. And Sean, you're welcome to join. I sent you an invite. Um, you know, we obviously have mentioned that that Andy Murray match. So this is going to the Andy Murray match. Like, what do you have to say, Redbox? Yes. I mean, I know you have a lot to say. So the Andy Murray match, I think, um, ah, that was unfortunate. I don't think he would have won. I don't think Sitsipas would have won if they had been able to get it through that night. Um, mm-hmm. So that the match started, I believe it was third on, was it second or third on center that day? Was it second or third? I think it was second. I think second too, yeah. And I think they, they had to stop it a few times to close the roof and whatnot. Uh, they had to stop play that day, I think, to screw with the roof. And... Um, you get three sets in. There's no way it could have been second on the court and they get three sets in and they have to call it off. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. 
uh, anyway, um, but they get to the end of the third set, and it's 10.38, 10.40, I think. And Murray, Murray had the momentum. He had gone up two sets to one. He, he looked like he was playing his best tennis. Uh, and then they had to stop the match. So they brought him on. Uh, the next day, it was definitely second on center. And Murray just wasn't there. Uh, he just, he, he was not in it. Sitsipas had time to rest and kind of recover and get himself in the right mindset for a comeback. And I think all the, the wind was taken out of Murray's sails uh, going into the next day. I think he'd, he'd been playing on, he'd been playing with the plan of finishing that night. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I really do think Murray would have advanced uh, through that match if they had just been able to get it done. And they couldn't, which was really unfortunate because, again, Murray, Murray and Wimbledon, there's not a better pairing in the sport of tennis mm-hmm. than maybe Nadal. Or <laughs> wait, wait. Team. What's your infatuation with Murray? Is this just a Commonwealth thing? I've never liked Andy Murray. He's always been mentally weak, in my opinion. Um, I mean, it's like Nadal in the French Open. I mean, wait, no, it's not. How many Wimbledon titles does Murray have? Three? Two? It's it's not the title. It's the... That's, there's never been a greater player on a greater surface than Nadal. So, there, yeah, Murray's not even not, like a top ten grass player of all time. It's the atmosphere he brings to the tournament. He brings the center when he comes on. It's not about the titles. He has, I think, three Wimbledon titles, but it's about... The the crowds he brings, the energy he brings. He's not even tennis. English. I don't even think he gets that much of a home. Scottish in the UK is all he's Scottish. Yeah. The, the Brits, <laughs> Britain's all the same. Yeah, he, he's so they play under the same federation. Not in soccer. He's represented a great Britain. So I mean, the the he's he was yeah. a top four player for many years. He's had a, he has a really good record against Roger Federer too. One of the only guys who has a good record against Roger Federer. Um, uh, and so he's a quality tennis player. He finally you know broke. For, broke that drought for for British players so and he has a big draw and he's a quality player so of course um you know he is a big draw so I'm not surprised Redbox is is um talking about him aside from the <laughs> match being like a just a really good match I hate those breaks man because like you said it just it just kind of changes the match completely wait what was it did it get dark was he not playing on center court or court number one um, on center court, there's a, well, at the entire Oh, there's ground. a time, there's a time limit, even though they have lights. They have they to have, stop they have at a like curfew. 10 p.m. They, yeah. They have a curfew past 10 p.m. They can't play after 10 p.m. I mean, now. dealing with those are part of Wimbledon, a- though. I mean, you've got the messed up surface. You've got the darkness. I mean, that's all part of Wimbledon and why you need to have that mental fortitude because you're going to, that's yeah. going to happen to you. I mean, it happened yeah. a lot more before they had roofs on those two courts. No, with I the know, it's definitely part of it. Yeah, I mean, I just hate the breaks, man, because I've just seen like too many of these like these comebacks with it, where, like you said, like you know, Tetsipas was, was kind of uh, probably not projected to win. Although it looks like you look at the you look at the scoreline, I mean, Murray still held it pretty tight, seven six. He lost six four. Um, however, like he wasn't the same player, and that, that happens too often, especially in Wimbledon. Particularly, uh, the one that I remember the most is Roddick versus Federer uh, with that break. And you know, I was I was pulling for Roddick at the time. He was playing lights out. 
Um, you know, and Tsitsipas just played an epic match against team with Dominic team. We forgot about Dominic team is a really quality player. Another player who's played really good against, against Roger Federer um, and some of the other and Nadal and uh, Djokovic as well. I'm a huge Federer fan over the years. So, but I mean, so he played a five setter back to back, not just with Murray, but he played in the first round against Dominic team, who was not a pushover. Um, so, um, any thoughts on that, uh, Kevin, since you haven't tried? Uh, I think with team, team, the question is still out on whether he's going to make it back to where he was. Um, team and Sasha Zverev, more team. I think Zverev, um, Zverev will make it back up there, but I think the the question really is out. I mean, he took a few years off, but he he, he had some injury woes, uh, what have you. But he he's not been able to get back up to the level that he was at when he was number four in the world, and was be beginning to uh, be grouped in with. The big three. Uh, no, he's not. But he's, he's still he's still a tough out, and he's still a tough. Out. He hits the lines really well. He's got really really good pace. Um, you know, good backhand, good forehand. He uses a nice uh, forehand loop tooth with spin. Um, and uh, he troubles some of the top players, like you know, because Roger Federer is the one I usually go through. But yeah, Djokovic and Dolph for that matter as well. So not the same player, like you said, but uh, a tough out as Tsitsipas had to go through five sets just to beat him. So, um, you know, those, of course, that's the marquee, marquee match in the first round. I mean, Wu Banks, per, uh, which is, of course, uh, a great American player. We're talking about American players. Yes. Plenty of players. Mm-hmm. Really surprised by Yeah, him. really good storyline. What do you have to say about him? Uh, any thoughts on him, Kevin? I, I just did not expect, like, him specifically to, like, go as far as he did in the tournament. Like, I saw him as, like, He's going up. There's a ton of them. There was a lot of Americans that I had, had thought that would go much more further than Eubanks was, like Tiafo or, or Fritz, Fritz, for instance. But then I saw Eubanks like in that Sitsipas match. And I'm like, damn, okay, Christopher Eubanks. He's got a really nice serve. I thought his backhand looked crisp. Like against Sitsipas, it was re- really good. I I fully expected when I saw, saw that match, I'm like, oh, Sitsipas is going to beat him in like three or four sets. But then Eubanks came out the door and said, I'm not afraid. I know grass is considered uh, – he said himself that he said, like, grass is, is my worst surface, and I think he's going to take that all back now after this tournament because took it to, took it the whole distance, but against Sittipas, beat him, and then took it the distance against Medvedev. Could have beaten him, but of course <sighs> Medvedev has more experience my, uh, on grass. But Eubanks, really surprising. My thing, I'm, I'm... – I'm mad at Eubanks because he denied us a Fitzapas Medvedev quarterfinal, and you know the history between those two. Oh yeah, um, those are fight. That would have been a center court match. That would have been that match would have been goaded. Um, but it didn't happen. Uh, he he did well against Medvedev, who has also said that grass is not his best surface. And again, I I really think with him it was just the five set format. Uh, it really doesn't. It really does not advantage uh, younger players. Um, well, it, I mean, five sets. You can the younger players should be in better shape. And, and I, I got to go. Well, I'm gonna stay on as a listener, but I got to go to work. I just wanted to give one take, and I wanted to get all of your opinions. Like, I think this was a seminal tournament in tennis history. I think the era of Big Four is over. I predict oh, yeah. Djokovic might not win another Grand Slam. I think I I know uh, is Alcaraz put the formula. I mean, like 
he made Djokovic look old. Like, and you see this with every champion, and it's kind of sad to see. I mean, we saw it with Federer, we saw it with Nadal. Like, you're a champion, and then you're not, and it's a pretty steep, quick decline. I mean, those drop shots, he wasn't intimidated by Djokovic. I don't think other players are going to be intimidated by him anymore. I see Alcaraz winning a lot more. So I would get pretty curious everyone's over under on how many more Grand Slams will Djokovic win because I think it's maybe one. Great take. I think Uh, Kevin's going to drop his phone, man. (laughs) No, he's got got at least one in him. I think he wins either the uh, U.S. or the Aussie before he goes out. Um I'm not sure about the French next year. If Nadal's back, um, we'll see. But, um, uh, of course, Alcaraz will probably be favored there because Spain, Clay, you can't say much more than that. Um, so, I don't know. He's got one more title at least. He's going to match court. Um, <laughs> but beyond that, I don't know. Okay. And here's my opinion. I think he's going to win at least three more. Here's why. He's going to go on his redemption arc against Alcaraz in this year's U.S. Open. I know he hasn't played there in two years because of his vaccination status. But I think their script is there to to redeem himself after the loss he just had against Alcaraz. So he's going to come back against the hard court, which is his best surface in my opinion. Australian Open, he's unbeatable. So that's two already. And the third one, I don't know if, if he'll beat win the French Open because, like Redbox said, Nadal may be coming back, and that's his tournament by far. I think Wimbledon, he'll win next year's Wimbledon as well. But going back to your point, Punce, when you said that um, Alcaraz made Djokovic look old, yes, of course Djokovic is old, but I really thought that like there was so many points where Djokovic could have put the match away, especially in that second set tiebreak. There was two points that he should definitely should have won. There was one point where he had a clear overhead winner and he missed it into the net. And there was another point where he went for a drop shot that he shouldn't have gone for and he missed it. He could have been up two points ahead in that tiebreak, would have won that tiebreak, and should have won in four sets. So I think more so it's about him making a lot of unforced errors and his inability to make a drop shot. But I, I, I can kind of see where, where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, it would be a mistake to rule. I mean, you're right, Djokovic, he is no one's more dedicated to their sport and their craft and maybe ever, and I got a lot of respect for him. But I just think, you know, once the champion, I don't think people are going to be intimidated by him as much. And I'm hoping it's a new era of tennis, a little more attacking, more drop shots, not just being a wall. And that's what I consider Djokovic and Nadal were, just walls. Yeah, I mean, Djokovic's game, I mean, no no disrespect. I mean, I, I'm, I actually like Djokovic. I, I, I used to root for him when he first got on the scene. I wanted him to beat Federer. He got lucky his first couple of times he beat Federer, too, though. And he stated that himself uh, in this post-game match against uh, Carlos Alcaraz. Well, I'll go into Djokovic a little later myself. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he's gotten lucky a little bit. He's certainly one of the best, if not the best. But uh, his game is very simplistic. He's he's kind of plays a little safe. Um <laughs> You know, he's, um, yeah, he's not very attacking typically. So, um, and that's kind of his game style. A lot of people say he's a boring player to watch. In a lot of ways, he kind of is. <laughs> I hate to say it, Kevin, but he kind of is. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean. I mean, yeah. I, get where, I get where you're coming from in saying that because, like, if he gets one break, he wins the set, like, almost every time. Yeah, I mean, I'd say a lot of top, top tennis players uh, I- – Probably use that formula as well. 
Okay, so I mean, uh, you know, Eubanks, I'm going to go into the final at some point. Um, no punts, great take. Uh, uh, thanks for staying on as a listener. We're probably going to – I'll go into the Alcaraz take. I'll go into Djokovic a little bit more with my particular perspective on that. I think, you know, Djokovic has a couple left in him. But, um, you know, uh, I'd say Eubanks, I think my – I was kind of mad at Eubanks because I felt like he should have beat Medvedev. I think he had that game. I think he just wasn't ready for the moment. And, um, you know, aside from wanting that Tsitsipas Medvedev match, which is, of course, a great match if that was to happen, I think Ubanks really was outplaying uh, Medvedev. And unfortunately, he, he lost it. You can kind of tell based off, I think, based off like you know, Medvedev's kind of his, his facial expressions, like his just kind of the way his energy was. Well, he kind of knew that he kind of just, he, he got, he got, well, he got a freebie at the end there because he, he's kind of, he was kind of being outplayed in that match earlier. And I, I want to go back to what I was saying earlier. Like, the experience to go five sets just isn't there with Eubanks. Uh, it will come, but the experience to play those marathon matches um, at, at Grand Slams, it, it, I, like, yes, the young players are supposed to be in better shape, but the endurance, um, right. the ability to go longer, uh, that, that lies with the veterans. Uh, like Medvedev, like Tsitsipas, um, and and some of these young players have figured it out. Alcaraz, obviously, he's twenty one, um, but it's not something that just comes. That's something you gotta. Uh, may, maybe it would have been the same with Murray. Maybe he would have lost in five if they kept going. I don't know. Again, he's been off out of the scene for a few years. Or he's been out of the scene in terms of playing consistently. But, yeah, I think with Eubanks it'll come. He's got a lot to look forward to in his career. Yeah. I, mean, uh, I think they're going to – Hopefully he's not a one and done. Uh, I think, like, you know, he's got like, – uh, like Kevin said earlier, he's got a great serve. Uh, he's got a good backhand. He's got he's really good at the net. Uh, he's got pretty good instincts. He's got really good – good grass game for sure which should be able to kind of translate into a little bit better success on on hard courts but i mean we'll, we'll see if he's we'll see if he's a one and done come flushing meadows in a month right. um you know yeah i mean I, well, I i i unfortunately i think it's just the mindset thing he wasn't ready for the moment which is kind of what you're trying to say as well um <clears throat> and, and, yeah. and unfortunately i think i think he had that match and i think he would have been i think that match at ubanks versus Versus um, Alcaraz would have been an interesting match. I think it would have been interesting. Mm, that would have been a three. Uh, no, that would have been a. Three well, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, let's say, let's say hypothetically, if if Ubanks was in a good headspace, he was playing well. Um, he was serving really well. He's you know when he was in that zone. So uh, I do think he would have maybe took it to four, possibly, um, if he was in that space. But that's typical. He was up against a player. Um, Two players, in fact, in the in the round of sixteen, the quarterfinals, who had both said, "This is our least favorite surface." Um, who both publicly said we're probably not contenders here. Not to diminish what he accomplished, but uh, he was not playing the best version of Daniela Medvedev. He was not playing the best version of Stefano Tsitsipas. Uh-huh. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I mean, I could I could kind of take that. Um, I think it would have been a, a, still a difficult out because that's like a, like I said, styles win fights. And I think that's the beauty of tennis. It's just there's so many different styles, and I think Ubanks has a really good grass court game, really big serve, 
serves it really well down the tee as well and out wide and a good, pretty good server volume and pretty good uh, consistent backhand. So I think he would have been an interesting, uh, it would be an interesting match at least to watch um, stylistically with, uh, I guess, Alcaraz. But Rublev played well, a name that we like to throw out. Rublev gave Djokovic uh, a pretty good match. Um, you know, it's one guy that's actually played really good against Alcaraz is Rublev. Um, he looked pretty decent. Uh, of course, you know, playing against a wall like Djokovic, couldn't get through that. Um, Rublev did exactly what he was supposed to. He took a set out of Djokovic and gave the fans a three-hour match. Um, <laughs> yeah. He did exactly what he was... I, look, I love Andre Rublev. Yeah. I, I think he's a great player, but... That's what, exactly what I thought he'd do. I thought he'd take a set out of Djokovic, and then he'd just kind of be there the rest of the match, and that's exactly what happened. Right. Um, Berrettini is another one. I mean, Berrettini took Alcaraz to fourth. He played a pretty tight 6-3, 6-3 all around, pretty much. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a name. He's somebody I like watching. Uh, plays a pretty good all-surf. I do, too. I think um, for some reason, I don't know, he, just, um, he was on an episode of, of Breakpoint, which if you guys haven't watched it, it's a great show. Um and uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what's going on with him, but uh, I mean, he did fall. He just did play Alcaraz, but uh, Alcaraz is still somewhat a newbie when it comes to his success on on grass. So uh, I guess very put together yet. Italians play such good tennis. Before before we uh, go through all the players, one name definitely a one and done. Um, Made the quarterfinals. Definitely, I, I don't see him going deep again. He's probably towards the the latter half of his career. Roman Safulin, uh, of course, he beat a very shaky Shapovalov in the round of sixteen. Um, that match was that was uh, that was just plain painful to watch. There is no other. Uh, way to there is no other way to put that 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 patch was just physically painful to watch in the fourth set when uh, Chapo he came out in the first and he played his best tennis I thought he might be back uh, to his pre uh, pre pandemic form or maybe even like pre twenty eighteen form uh, and he just he was playing um. His serve was on point. Uh, he was moving across the court um, so well. And then so, I think he reinvigorated, I think it was uh, his left leg. Could be wrong. Um, some injury that he, um, he probably should have. Um, he probably should take some time off to figure out. He won't because... Um, Rogers Cup's coming up, and he, all the Canadians are going to be there. Same with FAA, uh, Oje Aliassime. Uh, get into him. He was in. He was out in the first round. Um, yeah, I totally forgot about him. Again, as much as yeah, it's like almost thinking he wasn't. Yeah, against Michael Mo, I didn't really think he was going to lose against Mo. Well, you see, I'm not surprised because he's he's also same issue with Chapo. Um, he's got to take some time off to figure out his injury problems. He's not healthy. He hasn't been healthy. Uh, no, no, uh, FAA. He hasn't been healthy for probably a year or more fully. Um, he had he's had to withdraw from several tournaments. Uh, he's he's running on old ranking points at this point. 
He'll make one occasional deep run to keep him up in the top 30 in the world. But he's not, again, and he's going to be playing at the Rogers Cup. And it's a best of three. So he might be okay there. But he can't play these five-set matches right now. Um, And that's nothing against Michael Moe. But, like, also Michael Moe's not it. Um, Michael Moe. He's one of of those American journeymen, kind of. Uh, kind of like Ubanks, except I think Ubanks has a brighter future up ahead. Uh, so, and I, I actually, like, if I was a betting man, I would have put, right now, I'd be putting money on FAA to lose in the first round of every Grand Slam. And so, <laughs> so far, I would be coming out ahead. <laughs> hey, Redbox, remember, um, speaking of, like, um, one and done. Remember that that one dude from South Africa? What was his last name? Anderson, I think it was. Um, and he and he, well, and he beat two, Federer and then lost to Djokovic. There's Anderson and there's uh, Lloyd Harris. Yeah, it was it was it was Anderson. He beat he upset Federer and then he got crushed by Djokovic in the final. Yeah, I I, I remember that well. I I was uh, I turned it off after the first set. It was like six one six two six. That's Kevin's opportunity. You don't hear his name anymore. That's yeah, Kevin's opportunity to to let us know that Djokovic is still the best. <laughs> um, but yeah, FAA Tech. Yes, against a washed up player who we haven't seen play well in five years. So talking about I'm, just, I'm just saying one and done. That's the first person I I, I think. Of. I do remember that name. Um, I'd like. Talking about Italian players, Sinner played well. I mean, I can't, like, I can't recall who, like who else to think of when talking about Italian players being great. But that's an interesting take. Musetti, Sinner. Who is that? Sinner, yeah. I mean, Musetti, Sinner. Okay. Um, just trying to think of an history of who I can think of as Italian. That's the... oh, Fonini. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's Fonini. An interesting name. That's an interesting name. Um, One dude starts with an S. I forget what his name is. His last name. Well, Sinner, right? Starts with an S. Sinner. No, not center. The other dude starts with an S. He's really good. Oh, uh, Seppi? Seppi. Seppi's retired, Annie. I think so, but I really like seeing him play. I think it was really good. Yeah, I mean, this goes to the point. Like, it's we're kind of going full circle here. It's a no punts. I mean, it is a European dominant sport. If you're playing in Serbia, if Djokovic is playing in Serbia, if you're playing in Italy, which, I mean, with the soccer culture there, I mean, they're, they're playing it uh, – all over in Europe, but it's it's a primary sport still there, so that's why you expect to see quality quality talent to come out there, um, as opposed to the America America. We have other sports that are more, uh, you know, played and followed in in in, in our uh, in our culture here. So that just proves that point there. So I mean, center of course played really well. Um, I'm not sure Shapovalov, of course, still kind of still. I mean, there's not much to say about him. Anybody else you guys well, that you guys want to talk about? And, and with him, with with all the Canadians, with him, with Oje Aliassime, with Andrescu, with Fernandez, they're not one and done. They're they they haven't reached. They still have places to go, and I just think they have to give themselves the time to get themselves back into top form. Um, Fernandez is almost there. The other three have got some have got some work to do. Um, we got a few, we got a few coming down the the pipeline who I guarantee you will have never heard of. Um, some juniors coming down the women's and men's pipelines up here. Uh, one just won the uh, ITF in uh, Gatineau last week. Mm-hmm. Um, 
They got to know. Do you guys have to play in, indoors a lot in Canada? Are there a lot of indoor courts? Um, most of them are outdoor, eh, Prince? Yeah, I mean, listen, we got we got pretty good. I haven't lived in Toronto in years, but I, I certainly have visited, of course. Um, I still have family there. I mean, the summers are really good. They're still warm, right? So, I mean, we used to live in Jersey. Pretty, pretty similar summer. Well, it's actually a little less humid. Um, but very nice warm weather. You can go up to 100 Fahrenheit, actually. Uh, you know, fall weather is pretty warm. That's too hot. Yeah. That's too hot. It's so, I That's mean, what it is in Texas. It's, it's, um, it's, it's got plenty, you got plenty of seasons, plenty of time to play, you know, outdoor tennis or plenty of outdoor courts. There mostly outdoor courts in, in, in Toronto. In Toronto Cause I figure, I figure Canada is getting really good at basketball cause it's an indoor sport is one of my well, theories. And, we're, and we, we, we've got the, like, we've got indoor courts in Canada. Like we got the big one in Toronto. I think the, um. I think at the um, where they have the Rogers, I think they have an indoor facility, don't they? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I know people think like you know we're, we're, we grew up in igloos and all that stuff. But if you think of Toronto, you think of Chicago, pretty much similar landscape as far as weather. So if you got a lot of people playing outdoor sports, which plenty of people are professionals or athletes coming out of Chicago or Illinois, then you're going to have the same amount. Uh, well, you have a similar kind of athletic. Um, you know, uh, demographic coming out of uh, Toronto as well. So, I mean, I can't speak of like cities above, like, you know, you know, like, you know, way up north. <laughs> it's probably too cold up there for the most part, but uh, closer to the border, like Toronto, you know, Montreal, Vancouver. Montreal, yeah. Yeah, you're going to see uh, plenty of opportunity to, to play, you know, summer sports, play outdoors. Um, so it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not, a, the weather is not a huge impact when it comes to that. Um, Okay, yeah, I mean, so... Well, I'm here in Seattle. We're about to get overrun with Blue Jays fans this weekend as they play the Mariners. Oh, boy. <laughs> I feel bad for you. As a, as a Red Sox fan right now, um, <laughs> who's having to deal with a lot of Blue Jays fans, they're very, they're very, very cranky at the moment. <laughs> not not as much here. as Yankees fans right now. It's not even unjustified. I mean, but the team is playing like shit. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm right with you. Yeah, it's one of my favorite cities, man. Yeah, so, I mean, um, you know, the weather is very similar to Vancouver, so all that stuff. But, yeah, Seattle's a cool city. Um, I would say, you know, as far as any any other players, I don't know if you guys want to talk about any other players on the draw. I mean, certainly going to the final here. We kind of touched upon that um, already quite a bit. You know, Alcaraz Djokovic, it's the match that we all expected going into the tournament. We, we were glad to actually have it come to fruition. Um, an epic match, one of the longest matches I think in Wimbledon history, I believe. Um, and uh, you know, it's up there. Yeah. I, I just I, I, in final history. In final in, history, are they doing tiebreakers in the fifth set anymore? I forget. Um, yeah, they're, they're, it's a it's a super breaker at six all now. It's stupid. Okay, so they're not doing the marathon like Roddick no, Federer fifteen. That's the no, that I, we, we first started off this cast talking about. Your, your greatest memories, and I have, I have certainly a lot of them. I kind of grew up at the same time you did, no punts. Um, but, you know, that's one of the memories that I have. Aside from Sampras, I, I love Sampras growing up. Um, you know, that was one of the matches that is one of the biggest memories I have because I, I love w watching Roddick, and I thought he was going to pull through in that match, and that epic fifth setter um, is just a, a, a fantastic memory. Um, and his response, I don't know if you guys have seen his video where, where Roddick was in um, – kind of in the locker room somewhere and he was like you know just kind of uh, got emotional and just kind of like you know kneeled on the stairs because he was just like so emotional that he lost 
I mean, can't you can't crack the code with Roger Federer for some reason. Um, so uh, you know, just when he was, he was about to win, uh, he just you know couldn't couldn't pull through. Um, so one of, one of the biggest memories I have. But this Djokovic algorithm, yeah, you know, one of the one of the longest in final history. I just felt like before it happened, I felt like Alcaraz was going to pull through. It just felt like it was going to happen um, to me. Um, I don't know what you guys thought. I mean, of course, Djokovic is on some heck of a tear. Uh, hard guy to beat with his court coverage um, uh, and his dominance. But I, I, I just felt like he was going to pull through. And, and to kind of, you know, talk about a guy I like to bring up all the time, you know, Patrick Marotoglu, I bring up him all the time, which is a, a huge coach, you know, Serena Williams, um, championship coach as well. He's got plenty of uh, tennis academies across the United, across the world, sorry, um, starting in France, and huge ambassador of the sport. He said on Instagram, he posted on Instagram how he expected Djokovic to kind of lose because of all the pressure he has, you know, just then. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Djokovic. Uh, no, no. Who, who, who posted on this gentleman? Yeah, uh, Patrick Morotoglu is a huge uh, tennis coach. He was Serena's coach. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. So uh, he's he's got plenty of uh, uh, you know academies across the globe. He's he coaches. A lot, he's had a lot of people um, uh, that have uh, worked with him at his academies as well. Uh, Djokovic is trained there as well. Apparently, not necessarily coached with him one on one, but um, he's specifically and he's he's one of the biggest names in tennis. Uh, I certainly vlog about it myself once uh, in my own personal vlog. He's talked about how, you know, Djokovic had so much pressure on him. So moving forward, it's going to be hard for him to win. And that's a reason, a huge reason why maybe Alcaraz had a better, better chance. And I did, I do think, you know, Djokovic kind of, you know, was kind of um, dealing with a lot during the match, especially after the second and third set where there was some issues with the umpire. Um, uh, I forgot what exactly happened. But something in regards to the towel, I believe, uh, in the final. Um, yeah, he went to his like towel like in but like during the service clock, and apparently the, the I think the term fire had like an issue with that, and they called it like a violation for that. And Djokovic was not having it. Yeah, uh, apparently I don't know. He was he was upset with the uh, with with the refing before that too. Apparently, was it was that or was that just me? Um, there, there was also a point in the match where, like, he got called for a hindrance because he he did like a loud grunt after like getting a point, like a backhand down the line, <laughs> in the middle of a point, and then he got called for a hindrance, and so Alcaraz ended up getting that point, and he was upset with that too. Okay, well, I mean, I, I, sometimes Djokovic can be a bit much, but I don't know, I don't know what, what how I fall on that one. Um, but I mean, I, I do, I do think that impacted him quite a bit. I think he was kind of. He was pacing a lot quicker than he usually does, and that's all upon him. I think Djokovic, you know, usually he's really good about those moments. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, you can talk about him having these unforced errors and all that stuff, but that's tennis, man. I mean, if you're – and he's, he's – he didn't he didn't play those points to the best of his quality. So uh, I think he got outplayed in a lot of ways. Um, I think, you know, with Djokovic's game, Djokovic is known to play those big moments really well. And you know, hold his nerve, be really composed. And I think somebody was a little bit more composed in this in this game. Mind you, Djokovic had a little bit more pressure. Like I, I think you know that one tennis coach did highlight. But I think you know, but what's the pressure? Just because he's chasing these Grand Slams? I mean, I don't. It's not like he's. It was the U.S. Open, and he's going for his fourth Grand Calendar Grand Slam. Well, he just he just beat what it was supposed to. He just beat Roger Federer's record, right? 
Um, what was it the most? Memorable? Well, and Djokovic this year, he was supposed to be chasing, yes, the calendar Grand Slam. That was the big headline going into Wimbledon. Right. Calendar Grand Slam for Djokovic. Um, I don't, I think this was his last shot at that. I don't think that's, I don't think that's going to even be in the cards next year. Right. Great point. But, yeah. So the calendar Grand Slam was a huge pressure. He just beat Federer's record, I think, for the most matches. I think it may be, I forgot what it was. Um, he, he tied Federer's record for the most Wimbledons. Okay. Wimbledon finals. I Wimbledon think. finals. Okay, yes, which is huge. So, I mean, there's a lot of pressure, of course, to beat Alcaraz a second time, especially after facing him uh, in the um, in the French Open and beating him. Um, you know, usually he holds his nerve. I mean, so there's certainly a lot of pressure on him. But I, I do think Alcaraz outplayed him. I think, um, you know, he held his nerve a little better. Uh, he played some really nice points. You know, he, he mixed up some spin on, on him on the forehand side, which kind of let him down Alcaraz a little bit. Uh, I think he could have put a... He's talking about Djokovic putting some points away. I think Alcaraz could have put a lot of points away himself. So I mean, I, I don't, I don't follow that point so much. I think Djokovic is, plays it really safe. That's what makes him really good. He returns a lot of balls back in, long rallies. But I think he, his ground strokes, he plays it really too safe. And this is, and, and this is where it goes to kind of what no pun, no punts was kind of highlighting that Alcaraz kind of got he kind of built a formula as to how to beat Djokovic a little bit. You got to have some variety with the drop shots and all that, but playing with the pace, playing with the slice, uh, playing with some of the variety, getting a lot of balls back in, playing with long, like wide angles. Um, and, you know, so I think Alcaraz really just had, has all the tools, which Djokovic had said in his media availability after the match. Uh, as we've as I've shared on the Discord, so um, he praised Alcaraz as being a guy he's never played it uh, of that kind of talent, that kind of ability, being the best of all of the top three, him, Nadal, um, and uh, Federer. So I mean, you got to give a lot of credit to Alcaraz. Uh, I think I think you know the blueprint is there. I think Djokovic. I've never liked Djokovic's serve. I've always liked I've always liked Djokovic. I haven't followed him too much this. I mean, in the last few years. He did get lucky when it, with his first couple, you know, beating beating Federer in the U.S. Open. You know, he had a he had the crowd, you know, helping him out a little bit and uh, had a couple luck, good returns. But um, you know, his serve to me has has never really had that much pop to it. And his his forehand backhand, they're just really dependable. But it's and he certainly can hit a really nice forehand and backhand. But I, I just I, he plays it safe a lot. He's, he's, his his mechanics are are based to kind of play the athletic game and play, you know, get a lot of balls back into the court. Um, so, I mean, uh, Alcaraz just brings the heat and he brought the heat and he, he brought the variety with the, with the high balls, with the, with the spin and, and the slice. And Djokovic struggles against, against the slice. He struggles really, he struggles against a, a quality player who has a lot of variety and skill like Alcaraz who, who plays the slice. Um, Cause he has to create his own pace. So, I think he got he got beat by a better player in the tournament, um, and it's I think it's somewhat of a passing of the torch. But I do think Djokovic will win one or two more um, at the very least. So I will say this, Prince. Um, I will say this: this match, that match between Alcaraz and Djokovic, uh, proved to me that uh, the future of tennis is in, is in good hands oh, with with Alcaraz for sure. And I also want to say that in terms of, for I think for the most part, more so, I think the third and fifth set, Alcaraz absolutely outplayed Djokovic. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I kind of touched on this like a little bit earlier on. That second set tie break was the point of whether Djokovic is going to win or lose. Because like there was, like I said, there was two or three points in that match. He had a clear overhead winner, and he hits it into the net. That's a lost point right there, and it was on his serve. Then another lost point where he, they were trading backhands back and forth. Djokovic was completely controlling the point at that time, and he went for a drop shot for whatever reason. And that's one flaw that, that I've seen Djokovic have over the years is his abil- inability to execute drop shots effectively. Because most of the time he doesn't get his drop shots over the net, right? And I think that cost him there. That was a huge point, I thought. So that's two free points <laughs> that he should have gotten that would have won the set and possibly could have been Alcaraz in four. But and I that, digress. And that goes back to my whole thing about why tie breaks are so stupid. Because <laughs> one point, one you have point. to have them, Red Box. What it's been? We're not even talking the fifth set. Well, you don't even want tiebreakers in the first set. <laughs> nope, I don't. I, That's I ridiculous. Not. That second Absolutely set not. determined it. I agree. The second set. Absolutely not. I think he was. Uh, Reb, I would definitely want to hear what you want to say on this. A real quick red boxes. Um, I definitely agree that second set determined the match. Um, you know, with a player of that caliber, I mean, it, it's tennis, right? It's unforced errors. You can't. You can say that it, you know he lost the match, but they both created unforced errors, and that's what he's known for over the years to be the guy who creates the less, least amount of unforced errors. So. I mean, it, that's where the game's scheduled. So he, he felt a little demoralized, especially after, like, you know, that situation with the, with the towel and all that stuff and the way the match was going, especially after losing that second set. I think he felt a little demoralized, um, which he, he's usually great about bouncing back, which he did in the fourth set. But uh, I think Alcaraz did outplay him, um, and he showed him a different blueprint, like no, no punch kind of said. Um, Djokovic, he's, he doesn't execute the, the drop shot enough. I think he needs to practice that a little bit more. Um, For sure. And I, I, he just he, – he hit some great shots. But, again, he play, he likes to play his shot safe. Um, and that's kind of where I think, you know, Alcaraz – this is another point I forgot to mention. Alcaraz plays it safe too, and he knows how to play that game. He takes the serve early. He takes his shots early uh, on, on the rise. And um, that's why Alcaraz can go toe to toe with them and play long rallies and, and punch. Um, and he, he'll he'll take his swipe at some shots that Djokovic will just kind of still try to put it back in play instead. I think Djokovic needs to also like play more shots down the line more because because every every time that he would go down the line or at an angle, Alcaraz couldn't win the point. So I yeah. think if if he goes more for more of those, then he can, he can be I, any player easily. I think he was, scared. but he just doesn't go for it. Right. I think he was scared of Alcaraz's forehand. To be honest with you, although Alcaraz kind of missed a couple, like talking about missed opportunities, I felt like I see from the other side as well. I mean, I think Alcaraz missed a lot of forehand opportunities. He could have put put some points away on some breakpoint opportunities. Um, you know, and I, I'm I'm a huge fan of Djokovic. He's great for the sport. I mean, I love that he. Um, applauds the opposition when they make a good play. That's just so classy. That's what's great about tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yep. Federer is still the best on a, on one on one on one match. The best of the, if they're playing at the highest peak of things. I still personally think Federer is the best, but uh, I can't go wrong with Djokovic. Uh, great player, but I think Alcaraz showed us something different. And, and Djokovic stated it himself that he's never played a player like him before. So Red Bucks, anything you wanted to say? Um, no, like, I think 
Djokovic will go down as the greatest of all time, but the, the tides are turning now and we're, a new generation is coming and it's going to be led by Alcaraz and Tsitsipas to a lesser extent, Zverev and Medvedev. Um, but um, I think this, this tournament, it's, it's going to go down in history as possibly the biggest indicator of that indicator of that turning point um because we've been seeing it in women's tennis for years and women's tennis still doesn't have a clear um a clear group of front runners i mean they have Swiatek, but aside from that it's a complete um you can basically just press a random number generator between one and 44 in the world which i love for the record i think it's amazing uh, and you're going to get in men's tennis. We're, we're seeing a new group that is coming up and that is going to dominate uh, the game for the next five to 10 years. And I mean, in terms of having a reliable two or three, I think it's great. But I, I also love when you never really know who's going to win. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I think what, when the eras are colliding like they are right now, I think those are going to be the best matches um, when the new meets the old and different, obviously very different styles of tennis. Um, Those are the best matches when, when during those generational switchovers, because you really, you really don't know it it slides back and forth and Alcaraz is going to lose to Djokovic in the future. uh, And he's going to beat Djokovic a few more times in the future. I see this becoming a regular final for the next year or two, Mm -hmm. probably until Djokovic decides to bow out, which I think he might have maybe two more years of grand slams. But he's got another, he can play the sport for four or five more years if he really wanted to. And he might, he might mm. not. I think he's, I think he will probably um, break the Grand Slam record and call it quits. And you know what? Um, that would be a good, a good note to go out on. So I, I just, he's not there yet. He's, he's still got work to do. He's going to get it done, but he's got a new generation of players. He's got Alcaraz who's going to stand in his way and make that as hard as possible. Yeah, I mean, great take. Yeah, I, I think that Alcaraz is going to be Djokovic's new Nadal, like a, a new player that, like, makes him work harder, you know, makes him a better player. And even and, said that Nadal was his greatest opponent because he, he made him better. And we'll see if Alcaraz uh, can inherit the king of clay. Uh, from Nadal. Yeah, uh, good point. Good point. I mean, great take. Um, great stuff, guys. I, I'd say, I, I mean, the the irony is that you know he's also a Spaniard as well, just like Nadal is. Uh, yep. yep. Nadal's uh, is a kind of a huge fan of Alcaraz as well, um, and uh, you know they kind of have a similarity. Looking at their forehand, getting into the technical side, I mean, their forehands kind of very Spanish esque, very clay esque. You know, they kind of use that forehand loop a lot like to use a spin on it um so you see kind of hints of it of of nadal and yet nadal was according to Djokovic, his biggest rival just based on the matches they've had um mm. i'd say especially on clay um you know i think i think Djokovic played nadal a little bit better on clay than federer did um especially with the one-handed backhand so yeah i mean it it's a it's a passing of the guards it's, it's a Tennis is in a good place. I, I see that. I think I think that final is going to happen quite a bit. Um, 
you know, I don't think, uh, I mean, I know no puns mentioned this earlier. I don't think Djokovic is too old per se. I mean, yeah, he's a, an older side, but uh, he's an athletic guy. He's, he's a guy who works on his flexibility a lot. Um, and so he's, he's, he's got the championship pedigree. He's been around. A lot of these guys are younger than him. Um, and so uh, I, I think he's, I don't think that really impacts him. I just uh, think uh, Alcaraz is just a, a quality player. He's just a, he's picked up the game really quickly. Um, his his drop shots are just fantastic. Like he just hits those really short drop shots, mm-hmm. the forehand drop shots too. It's very Federer esque. I mean, I know I'm mentioning Federer. I think Federer is to me one of the great. Actually, Carl Alcaraz's favorite player is not Rafael Nadal, believe it or not, even though he's from Spain. Um, he is his actually Roger Federer was his favorite player. I uh, did some research on that. Oh. And their then, forehands are up, similar. Didn't he come up through the Rafa Nadal Academy, though, Alcaraz? I think he did. Um, actually, his forehands are not similar. Um, the way the way he hits, they play with Rune, right? I just think he attacks it with the forehand really yeah, well. Yeah, from that perspective, uh, I mean, not to nitpick, I, from, from that perspective, he, he attacks really well with the forehand. Um, and but I mean, he hits, he hits, he kind of his technique's a little different. He uses a little bit more of a forehand loop, like. A, like I was alluding to, like kind of more of like the Spanish uh, clay style a little bit. Um, certainly hits a flat ball as well. Um, he takes it early like Federer does, so that's a really good point. Um, but it's a little bit stylistic. And uh, I know you can see the passing shots. You can see kind of like the Federer-esque a little bit in them. You can see the the doll with the high ball in them. You can see the the dog fight of like getting all the balls back, uh, hitting those wide angles like like like, like Djokovic does. Uh, and then he's th- those drop shots are just like Federer, like you know, just he'll he'll act like he's gonna hit 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 a forehand slice or hit a forehand cross court, and he'll hit you with a little dropper last second. So, well, amazing shot. and I knew that's when Djokovic wasn't gonna win the match. I think it was in the fifth set. He didn't even go after a drop shot. So when you see your opponent, there were a couple times where Joke he lobbed Djokovic one another time. I mean, that's what you got to do with these big guys. You got to drop shot them, lob them, and then you see them giving up on points. You know you're gonna win. I mean that's another good point. I mean I think that's something that we didn't talk about. I didn't. I'm surprised I didn't bring it up earlier too because we're talking about technical skill. I think Carlos Alcaraz talking about that clay final against against Djokovic in that um, Roland Garros. You know, usually Djokovic is really good about that cat, cat and mouse game, that short game, the drop shot, getting the back and play, and winning those small little back and forth uh, volley games, right? But uh, Alcaraz, I think he really primed himself ready for this final against Djokovic using that tactic. He had several matches leading up to that final match. Medvedev, prior to that, several matches. Alcaraz, um, where he played that cat and mouse game. And gave him credit. Yeah, he played that cat and mouse game, which, you know, the cat and mouse game is where you're playing that drop shot, playing that short game, mixing it up, using a lob. Um, He he, he mixed it up, which which Federer is amazing with the lob as well. Um, So, I mean... He just executed that really well, and I think he outplayed uh, Djokovic just a tad bit more when it came to that cat and mouse game, which is hard to do uh, with the kind of cork Djokovic has. And I think that's kind of what pulled him through as well. Yeah, definitely. Alcaraz, I think, is just much better like using the drop shots than, than Djokovic has. Like I, I already said, you said that. Like Djokovic. He cannot be going for, for drop shots in those situations because he barely gets gets them over the net. So, like, if, if Alcaraz recognizes that, then, like, he's going to use that to his advantage. And I think he did that. Yeah, like I was saying, I think in those earlier matches, he was kind of using – he was testing it out a little bit. Um, not to say that he wasn't going 
uh, hard in, in those matches. But I think he, he actually got, got outplayed, I think, against Berrettini a couple times against Ruin, where uh, he was trying those tactics and he got outplayed in some of those decisions. So I think he he um, he was ready for the final, in other words. Like he's kind of you know using some of that in his arsenal, just practicing what what he might expect and using that um, in the final against against Djokovic to his advantage because he just kind of um, he used it a lot in the earlier matches. So to get acclimated to that style of play, um, and it worked really. Uh, one um, I I wanted to make one final point on Alcaraz. I mean, what probably impressed me even more than the match was how charismatic he is, and I that's one of my favorite things about tennis. I mean, these guys usually have really good personalities. He speaks great English, which isn't always the norm for a Spaniard. I mean, he speaks way better English than Nadal did, especially at that age, and he just wowed the crowd. I mean, I think he was asked after the match, like, "Oh, what do you think? What's your relationship with grass?" Because let's not forget how much how little this guy's played on grass and to win a grass <laughs> Wimbledon, and what was this his second time playing in Wimbledon? Um, and the the interview asked, I don't know if you guys saw, it, maybe it's just on American TV, like, oh, he's, yeah, I think I have a good relationship with Grass. I think we're falling in love with each other. So he just had one-liners, and I was just so impressed with him. I think he's going to be a joy to watch for the next decade. Yeah, great take. I mean, I think uh, very charismatic guy, um, very likable guy, uh, has a great smile on his face, like a boyish charm to him. Um, you know, as somebody you just can't hate, somebody you want to root for. Um, and I, th- I think that kind of goes to the point why why Djokovic got to give him all the credit because you know he applauds the other player when they when they play well. Even uh, such a great player he is, and a legend he is in the, on the court. Um, you know, for him to go out there and, and say that uh, he's never played a player like that, um, I think it's a testament to how Alcaraz is just a likable guy, um, and with plenty of plenty of success in the future. So, uh, great take. Um, you know, this is a great. Great recap. I don't know if you guys have anything else to say uh, on. I do on Wimbledon. Please go. Yeah, please go ahead. I, I actually am surprised that we didn't even talk about this one player, Hubert Hercotch. That match against Djokovic is probably one of the greatest serving performances that I've ever seen anyone play against Djokovic. Hit like thirty aces. His first serve barely missed. The one, the only times, few times that he did miss, Djokovic was able to to break him on, on a point and only broke him for, I think, one service game, and that was enough. But give credit to Hercotch because his service game was unreal in this tournament, I think. Yeah, I don't recall that match. I don't Redbox. You remember that match at all? What were you saying, sorry? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, oh, I, was just, ahead, please. I was just saying that I, I one player that I, I, we regretted – um, we did not talk about was I think Hubert Hercotch. like his service game this tournament was unreal. Yeah, um, I think I, I don't know if we're gonna get much more out of Hercotch. I think he's kind of I, he definitely has the potential to progress further, but I don't know if he's peaked. Um, yeah, like he's. Um, he's, he's best in Poland right now. There's no doubt about that. The Polish number one, but, uh, beyond that, I don't know. I don't know. He, he's been, he was impressive though, during this tournament. Mm-hmm. He only broke serve once it, it was in that Djokovic match and he still lost. Yeah. Which well, I think is crazy to me. That's, so that's Djokovic. You need to, you need to, yeah, you know, 
but I think if Hercotch continues to serve like that, I think he's going to go pretty far in tournaments for, for years to come. I, I know Kevin's trying to, trying to to toot the Djokovic bandwagon one more time. I don't blame him, but I mean, yeah. No, I know. I'm praising Hercotch here because yeah, yeah, I really yeah. was impressed by him. Absolutely. I, I have to watch the highlights on that, so thanks for bringing that up. I mean, you'll see that. It's a great thing about Wimbledon. You'll see a lot of great serving performances, uh, also from Djokovic's own countryman who's in his box, right? Um, uh, even Isovic, who's a, who's a great server uh, back in the day. No puns probably knows the name. Maybe you guys know the name as well. Uh, epic server. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, so from Serbia as well. So, um, I mean, to, to that point, yeah, Djokovic is the – just a, a fighter. Um, you know, I think uh, Federer's always been really good at that as well, playing against really good servers as well, like like Roddick, you know, returning serves as well. But, uh, you know, um, yeah, Djokovic uh, uh, played a really good match, and that's a match definitely we should have, um, <laughs> regretfully we didn't mention earlier. So mm -hmm. yeah. um, I don't have anything else to say on this. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have anything yeah. else. Uh, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I just wanted to highlight uh her because i really wanted to like give him a good like shout out to how really well he played played this tournament yeah i'm gonna probably check out the highlights on that no punts any other additional takes i don't know if uh i don't know if you have anything else but uh this was a great uh recap i mean great finals um thank you guys for for definitely joining kevin i'm glad you made it <laughs> yeah uh, we, we gotta of course we gotta try and uh we gotta try and do um we gotta try and do some live matches during the U.S. Open. Um, I don't know, Prince. Like, do you have, are you able to watch all the matches? Uh, I mean, uh, when I'm available, you know, um, I can't watch too many matches, but maybe the evening matches I can, depending on my work schedule. I'm, uh, I don't. I'm, yeah, like we we gotta get in. Uh, we 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 gotta do some live reactions together to some uh, to some U.S. Open matches over <clears> here. For me, it's only an hour difference because I'm in Texas and it's in New York. So, well, yeah, no, well, right now I'm on the same time zone as you, Kevin, but I won't be when the U.S. Open rolls around. I'll be back on Eastern time. So, I I don't know, we've we've all got to get together and do some live reactions at some point. I don't know. Um, sure. I don't know when if like we could do any match if if you don't have access to all the matches, I can get you hooked up to that. That's not an issue. So, yeah, we got we got a. Um, we definitely got to get together, do some live reactions uh, when uh, the last Grand Slam of the year comes around. And I'll be just getting back to school, so I'll probably only really be able to do evening matches for the first <clears> week. <throat> but after that, I'm very free. Yeah, for sure. I'm all down. Okay. Um, great stuff. So that's something to look forward to for any of our listeners here. Certainly, I'll be sharing this on social media. This is going to be part of my podcast as well, which I'll be sharing in the link tree as well pretty soon. Uh, on my social media so look for it on of course twitter uh of course we're on facebook so uh, and of course in the discord if you guys are in the discord um of course on my profile but uh thank you guys redbox kevin no punts uh sean everybody for showing up um love this tournament great tournament um lot, a lot of great stuff to talk about and uh look forward to some live games or some uh, additional tennis talk in the near future guys We'll definitely do a review of the U.S. Open, definitely. And we'll definitely oh, do yeah. a review of the uh, recap of the U.S. Open. So you guys have a great rest of your day. Enjoy your you know upcoming weekend. And um, we're going to enjoy the summer with the tennis tournaments that are upcoming pretty soon. Yeah, almost Rogers Cup time. Uh, this, was, this was fun, y'all. Good stuff, yep. guys. Glad to be part of it. Peace. Peace.